lot of us, I think, right now in this country and in organizations are hungry for, for getting along. And if they can feel safe, it, respected that somebody's willing to listen, not always agree, but willing to listen to them, then the conversations and the innovations and the solutions. So, I used to get calls from clients um, about how do I deal with this in the organization? How do I deal with that? Now I'm getting calls from college roommates saying, how do I talk to my daughter uh, who, who is on the opposite side of the political spectrum and we don't talk anymore? Or wow. how do I deal with my sibling? Um, I love her, but uh, we cannot have a civil conversation. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 55, and we have a very special guest today, Dr. Andrea Molberg. And this title today is Brave Conversations, Finding Common Ground Through Difficult Conversations. I think we all know it. We are struggling today in navigating our way through our differences and our very difficult conversations. And Andrea is a consulting psychologist She's worked with a lot of companies on leadership and being more effective. She's also an industrial and organizational psychologist, and she's got some great ideas and perspectives for all of us to learn how to navigate difficult conversations in better ways. She's got a brand new book out called Emergency Kit for Finding Common Ground, Helping Americans Get Along. Can you imagine that? Do you think we need some of that right now, getting along? Absolutely. And Andrea's here today to share her thoughts on what's getting in the way, but more importantly, offering us tools to help us communicate better and differently. And as she likes to say, to have these difficult conversations in less challenging, less defensive, and more relationally maintaining ways. So get ready to learn a different way to disagree. podcast where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are back here in the Impact Leadership Podcast, and we have another incredible guest. And we're talking about timely guests. <laughs> when you get to the topic today, you're going to see why I'm telling you this is a timely and incredibly relevant and so much needed topic today. Our special guest is Andrea Molberg, uh, Dr. PhD, Dr. Andrea Molberg. She is a consulting psychologist. She's a speaker, a trainer, an author. And she does a lot of things. She works with organizations, but especially their leaders. She helps them to be more effective, and she helps them navigate conflict. I know that none of you have conflict in your organizations, or your families, your friendships. So we're going to talk today a lot, I'm sure, about conflict and the idea of common ground. Because I don't know if you noticed, but we've having a little bit of a challenge today in our culture around just talking to each other about some of the difficult issues that are going on in our world. And Andrea's going to give us all the answers. So no pressure, Andrea, but welcome. <laughs> welcome. 
Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm, of course, really interested in getting the tools from my toolkit, the emergency kit for finding common ground. <laughs> and that is the title of your book, right? Uh, that's the title of my book. I'm trying to get those to as many people as possible. It's needed before and after this election. Um, it's needed at home. It's needed in the workplace. Uh, it's needed in our streets and in our wow. neighborhoods. So uh, I'm hoping that there'll be a practical idea or two <laughs> that people might actually grab hold of. I'm an applied psychologist. That means um, I try to look for how can we use some of that oh. excellent research and um, make it come alive. Not oh, you're saying we that. actually have to do something different? <laughs> we have to have an impact. Oh, wow. There we go. Oh, well, yeah, there we go. So, Andrew, give us a little bit of the background story for you that brings you here today. Well, I'm a what's called a consulting psychologist. That means I'm doubly trained in both the therapeutic world as a counseling psychologist and also trained as an organizational, industrial organizational hmm. psychologist. When I was um, in graduate school, there were very few female leaders, much less female consultants to them. Mm. And my father had always wanted a lawyer son. Um, he loved me anyway, but he really wanted a lawyer son. And so I went to law school for four days for him. And then <laughs> I, I said, you know, um, it can't be worse to get a PhD, even though I'm not a PhD type, but it can't be worse to get a PhD in a field I know I love. Yeah. than it is to stay in law school. It's going to take me a little longer, but still. And he was very concerned that I wasn't going to be able to eat. And that was important <laughs> to him. So uh, I, and I was interested in both the therapeutic part of psychology as well as the workplace organizational psychology. So I said, okay, to prove to dad I can eat, I'll get doubly trained. And, um, and I used the skills from both when I'm selecting leaders, uh, developing leaders, going in when a group of people hate each other or hate the leader. And my job is to help them work together more effectively. I'm glad I, I made sure I could eat. And in, the days <laughs> in graduate school, I was skinny and had a voracious appetite. So my father was delighted to get me out of the house and me paying my own food bills. There you go. <laughs> well, well just a recovering uh, attorney himself. Yeah. <laughs> you took four days. It took me, it took me 17 years of practice to realize <laughs> I hated it. So I'm a slow. <laughs> My condolences. So there's a lot in there, what you shared, Andrea, about the kind of work you do. And the way you listed, I said, I'm sure your plate is already full and always full. If you're talking about leadership and I don't know, people would actually hate their leader. I can't imagine that. <laughs> oh, they told uh, me they did. <laughs> Well, and if we add, you didn't say this, but if we add that they feel let down by their leader, I'm, that's Absolutely. just... Absolutely. Absolutely. Your plate is full the rest of your days. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about, talk about your approach to leadership and how you work with leaders. One of the most important things leaders can do is listen. <laughs> yes. And well, you mean we have to be present? Oh, ouch. Yes. <laughs> and many leaders don't know that. Um, maybe they haven't been listened to, or maybe they like the sound of their own voice, um, or maybe they don't understand what happens when they're not. Hmm. So um, sometimes I have to show people the, 
the literature on toxic leaders um, and the impact that they have on, on organizations and then have them think about what impact it will have on their team and also even in their own home life. Um, but I've had leaders come home and say, how come at work people listen to me, but at home they don't? And so sometimes they need to learn to listen both at work and at home. My guess is you find that it's typically both. Yes. That it's both. There's, and that's my experience as well, that there's not really a separation as much as leaders want to say they are very different. They feel they're being very different, but the experience people are having with them is very similar. Although I have seen leaders who are very mild mannered um, at work and not so at home. So I think we can, we can behave in situation specific um, ways too. So it's not always true that what we see in one aspect of our life is identical in another, but some of those tendencies will be there pretty, pretty strong. So let's go back a minute. You talked about the listening. Yep. What have you found typically are the things that get in the way of leaders listening? Why don't they listen? Sometimes they and all of us don't listen because we are so passionate about something and we want other people to hear it. So our intentions are good. The problem with that is the more we push something on someone, typically the more they resist. So while they want uh, to be effective, that failure to listen actually backfires. Um, why else don't we listen? Um, we're lazy because it takes a lot of work to <laughs> yeah. listen. We don't listen um, because we haven't learned to. Many people, many leaders have been rewarded for talking, but they haven't been rewarded for listening. Mm. And they don't really comprehend that um, around 60% of our life, at least, we really need to be, should be, and are listening. At, and yet those muscles aren't well, well developed. How am I doing? Oh, Those are three reasons. Yeah, that's a really no. good point. Uh, what, what would you say, how many people would you say just don't care? These days, a lot. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I've really seen over the last four years is how much we get convinced of our views and we don't want to change them. So we don't want to listen. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of research on what we call cognitive uh, aspect of psychology, how our, our minds have habits and we don't even realize them. You know, mm. we form an opinion, everybody knows this, uh, you know, within um, seconds of, of meeting somebody or listening to them. And then we work really hard at holding on to that view. <laughs> so we, we look, look for data that supports it. We ignore and filter out information that doesn't. And the failure to understand that innovation comes from picking part of a crazy idea from you and an idea mm. from somebody else and a Absolutely. little bit of spice from somewhere else, that mm. concoction, you know, is so much better than what we can do alone. And that's the, the standard notion of two plus two is five instead of really <laughs> Wow. It sounds like, you know, oftentimes we label people, label things, and we label them with duct tape, you know, so it's difficult to come <laughs> off, you know, versus grabbing a post-it and sticking it on there. And so how do, we, how do we change the adhesive there and make it so it's a little bit easier for us to relabel something? 
you know, you said we have that initial feeling about somebody. Um, reduce fear. Mm. And, and that might surprise you, but we don't listen when we're scared. Mm. Typically. True. So I may be scared I'm going to be made fun of by my team or I will be ignored by them or I won't have their respect or I'll become obsolete Um, or I'm defensive. I want to prove I'm right. So one of the most, uh, one of the quickest ways to be a better listener is to be curious, but we're not curious when we're scared. So it's, it's knowing, noticing that we're defensive, then getting ourselves off the defensive, and then, um, then creating a situation in which uh, you're interested, genuinely interested in what somebody else is saying. Yeah. I use a, a story <laughs> when I'm running a, a workshop um, about how I raised my children out in the country next to real farmers. We, we just happened to have uh, a farmette, if you will, and had horses because my dream was to have horses. And we had barn cats, which were to keep the mice at bay. But the barn cats were wild, and my children wanted to catch them. Of course, the more they chased them, just like the more leaders sometimes <laughs> chase their, their team uh, members, the more the kids chased the cats, of course, they ran. But if they were cornered, they struck. Ah. And my kids were just so disappointed. And so I said, okay, here. Um, they're, they're hungry. So if we can bring them some food and <laughs> make it safe, let's see what happens. Well, of course, you know what happened. They approached. And... So um, a lot of us, I think, right now in this country and in organizations are hungry for, for getting along. Mm-hmm. And if they can feel safe, it, respected that somebody's willing to listen, not always agree, but willing to listen to them, then the conversations and the innovations and the solutions. Um, What's the term you use for that, Jeff? Which one? I have so ROS. many. ROS. Oh, ROS, return on safety. Return on safety. I love it. I steal that. Yeah, please do. (laughs) I want it it spread. It's the whole idea of uh, looking at safety much more holistically. Like right now in COVID, you know, leaders are looking at physical safety probably more than ever in their leadership. But to me, it's about all the things you talked about. Is it safe to speak up? Is Is it safe to ask questions? Is it safe to try things? And I think what you're speaking to, there's a word you haven't used yet, to me, a lot of this is about vulnerability because, Absolutely. you know, am I willing to be vulnerable? And, and leaders will say, well, I don't want to be soft. They said, no, asking a question or being willing to listen is an act of vulnerability. That's vulnerability it and is. listening to people. And I, I love that you're bringing safety into it. And I think too often people think of safety as either physical safety or perhaps something like they want to be safe from bullying or verbal abuse, which is absolutely true. But I'm talking about day to day. Do right. I come to work and do I feel safe just being part of this team and my safe yeah. being who I am? And, and I think and this is why I love the topic. I'm hearing so many stories right now of people feeling unsafe in their workplace because of the issues going on in the country. Oh, the, more than in uh, my lifetime, for sure. 
People are talking about being afraid of being outed for having a certain political view. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's I used a, to get calls from clients um, about how do I deal with this in the organization? How do I deal with that? Now I'm getting calls from college roommates saying, how do I talk to my daughter uh, who, who is on the opposite side of the political spectrum and we don't talk anymore? Or wow. how do I deal with my sibling? Um, I love her, but uh, we cannot have a civil conversation. So, I think it comes back to, you know, we have, we have these differences of opinion and that's fine. We've always had differences of opinion. The question is, what's our value on our relationships? Am I, am I going to make the issue more important than my relationship? You read my book. I, oh, okay. <laughs> Great. No, exactly. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that, no. Go ahead. That was just, I was just affirming that we are on the same page. Yeah. Well, while we're on that topic, let me, let me just dive right in then. Because some conversations I've had over the last month, uh, I know some people who have said very clearly to me that they are letting go of relationships because, but here's the thing though, they've said my values are more important than my relationships and the differences I'm having are values differences. And they're saying, I am willing to let relationships go over mm -hmm. extremely different values. At least they're being conscious about it. Well, yeah. and, and I think that's a different thing than saying I'm letting my relationship go over an issue yeah. And I like the fact that people are looking at things from a values perspective. Yes. Personally, I think yes. values are what drive me. And mm -hmm. I speak from my values. That's my intention. Sure. I'm so glad. Um, and if we can get back to, to those values, sometimes we can find some common values yes. still that, can, that are overarching that allow us to continue to struggle to find a way to hold on to the relationship despite the fact that we are different. One of, the, one of the research topics for organizational psychologists forever is the notion of equity. Um, what is fairness? Mm. But it really is a subjective thing, and that's what makes it difficult in the workplace, and it makes it difficult in our streets and neighborhoods. Mm. You know, what I consider fair are the criteria I use. We have the common value of fairness, but we differ in how we define fairness. And um, that's a struggle. That's a struggle. So how much of this, I, I really want to get into your ideas on how to help people address it. And I guess I'm yeah. starting with some challenges that I see, Andrea. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I always like to, I like to stop at the end. Instead of, Hot seat. We, want, we, we dive in. We don't dip our toe in the water. <laughs> so here's the question. I believe in talking to a lot of people, certainly not everyone, that I think in some people's minds, they were willing to listen to each other when they were open to, to saying, I might change my mind. But I'm experiencing a lot of people on all sides that are saying, on this, I'm not open. So right. why should I listen to you? Right. And I don't know what to say to them. Because in some cases, for me, when it's on my values, I'm, I'm open to hearing but I don't know that I'm open to changing my values. Uh -huh. I'm open for looking for a way we can hold on to the relationship despite the differences, because I don't want civil war. Mm. I don't want uh, good talent leaving an organization. You know, if a leader can't resolve differences within the organization, who's going to leave? 
the good talent because they can't. And um, if we don't resolve it within the American workspace, um, we're going to have civil war. So yes. for me, it's I, I value listening enough to find a way to hold on to a relationship if I think that relationship is important. I think oftentimes we can just not have a discussion around that particular topic and get on with living. <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, why do we have to always be focused on that one particular thing if that's what's driving the wedge? Well, before November 3rd, if you are, are really worried about a democracy, you might say, after November 3rd, I'll talk about other things. But right now, I, I'm, if I can find anybody out there who's a, whose view I can change, I will, because it is such an important issue for them. So you're right. When the issue was so crucial, when our, and, it, and it goes to our core values, that's when people don't back down. Um, yeah. Well, my yeah, my challenge there, Craig, is this because you and I have talked about a couple issues going on right now, and what I would throw out is if I'm in an, and I've told you this, if I worked for someone else, I guarantee you, if there were certain people that I, were my leaders that held certain beliefs right now, I would quit tomorrow based on that belief. I would not say, oh, we just don't have to talk about it, because I would choose not to be led by that person. Right. That would be a decision I would make. So I would like to know where they stand. And um, I was working with a client yesterday who basically said to me, I've been offered a job in my organization. Um, and I um, don't know whether or not I want to take it. And we explored what would be important criteria for that individual. Um, and of course, um, she was looking for whether or not the tasks were going to be interesting, whether or not the span of her work and the number of people she would be leading was going to be larger and so on. But the deal breaker for her was whether or not she had to report to a certain person. And she mm -hmm. said, if I have to report to that person, my hat's out of the ring. I'm not, I don't blame I, her. I'm not going there. And, and we've, got good, yeah, we've got good data that indicates people don't quit organizations as much as they quit a boss. Right. Absolutely. Hmm. So I think that this is why it's such, to me, a really complex and interesting topic, Andrea. And I want to get into some of the tools you talk about, because I think in the past, there has been a lot of this, let's just make these the topics we don't talk about. Yep. And we, and we pick, you know, I grew up, even growing up, you don't talk about religion and politics. Those were the two. And I think that has expanded, and I don't think they're not talked about, because to me, I want to know where someone stands on things of, that are of value to me, because I'll make decisions based upon that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the chapters in the book actually talks about when do you choose which style? And one style is avoidance. And that's sometimes a very appropriate one. If the issue isn't that important, or if your neck is really in the noose, it makes sense to keep quiet about it. Um, and other issues... At other times, um, it makes sense to speak out. Uh, there are other times when you split the difference. So I think one of the things I do with leaders is take a look at, first of all, how do you get yourself under control? And secondly, what choice do you want to make? So understanding that, that uh, conflict is stressful, um, that we don't like to disagree. We like it when people agree with us. Similarity <laughs> together, differences pull people apart. 
but then also realizing I need to get my neocortex going. I need to make choices and not just automatically react so that I'm acting um, proactive, choosing a strategy rather than just in a reactionary mode. I don't think Jeff has that bone in his body. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, that's not true. There, I mean, so this is a good example of what my next question was. I'll, I'll, I'll respond to that very briefly. I would love to tell you both. I'd love to say on the air that every single time I see something that doesn't work for me, that I speak up. Yeah. And yeah. I don't. And I don't. And I will admit that some of those times it is based on some form of fear that I'm not sure and I'm choosing not to. And what I, what I assess later is, so what was really going on? Was that really a conscious, healthy choice? Or was that me being afraid to do what was right? And so that's how I assess myself. Good. So, so what I'm curious about, Andrea, is when you're talking to leaders, and, and I want to get really specific to what's going on in our world today, there's a lot going on, and, and I think I've seen leaders, in my opinion, speak too much in the sense that they literally, they are, I believe, in a form unconsciously bullying their team members into their belief system. And to mm -hmm. me, they're not being aware that they have a power differential, and for them to speak up, it's a lot different. They're not just sharing their opinion. No. Yeah. They're the boss, and they're saying to someone who's on their team, how can you possibly think that way? That's more than just a difference of opinion when you have a power differential. So how do you coach and consult with leaders now about how they share or don't share their beliefs and views? Well, what you made me think of is another way I could do it. Um, I used to teach about hostile work environments and sexual harassment and sexual discrimination in the late 90s. And I never thought it would take 20 years for the Me Too movement. Um, yeah. So it, it was a long time in coming. But many, many leaders in those days and in the decades since uh, thought they were just kidding, just joking, just. Uh, oh, wow. And they did not perceive that the power differential um, had an impact. So sometimes I use that as an example, and um, you made me think of it now. <laughs> well, how did, how did Schwarzenegger and his wife? Get along for so long. I mean, I don't you know, know. diametrically opposed political beliefs. Uh, I've always wondered about Kellyanne Conway and um, her husband, <laughs> who started the um, Lincoln Project. Talk about very different, different folks. Yeah, hmm. I have a feeling on that, and you know, I don't know when this happened. And so many people say it. It's not my opinion. It's, I've heard it from others that. It used to be that we could have these dialogues, and what the, but the opposing sides were opposing political sides. And I really feel like what's happened is, I don't think it changed. I think people are now seeing that a lot of this are really values differences. Mm -hmm. To me, make, are, are harder to maintain those other sides. You know, you, you talk about, you know, the big, one of the biggest elephants in the room, but it's now everybody knows it when we talk about race today. Yeah. That topic, um, <laughs> for, for someone, to, and it, it's, some of it's interpretation, it is. You know, I, I don't meet, I don't meet, and I hope I don't really know, frankly, very many overt, what I would call overt racists. Mm -hmm. 
who are using language that's totally inappropriate, who are just directly stating a racist perspective. So it's all these other areas, but I, I feel like those in relationship, we used to be able to have, be together in differences because the differences were political, but I don't know that they're political now. I think they've gone deeper and maybe that's good that they have gotten deeper. I think they are better. You can argue it both ways, can't you? Um, and I, I think the problem is when fear continues to be stoked, which I really see it happening in our culture right now, um, when, when we're triggered, when our fear response is triggered, then we don't think about things. We attack the person, not the issue. We attack the person, not the interpretation of their values. We, um, we're scared. And the, the best way that I know of to help people get along is begin by reducing the fear, then start negotiating about what do you think, what do you want, and why, what do you think, what do you want, and why, and how can we make as much of that happen as possible. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. Now, when you say reduce that fear, is it, is it coming to a agreement of saying, you know what, Andrea, I, I value you and I'm interested in finding a way that we can communicate about this so that we can both um, have a better quality relationship? Or, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? You said it very well. Okay. Um, it, it's safety and respect really go often hand in hand. Um, yeah. I need to feel like I'm not going to be harmed and there's the safety, but I also need to feel like I'm important. Right. And so that's the respect. And those two key elements change relationships so much, um, mm. whether it's a marriage relationship, a relationship with a teen, a relationship with um, your neighbor across the street who keeps the, the, their, their noise level too high for you or their dog barking too much, or whether it's someone on your team who's asking you to do something that at the moment maybe you can do, but if they keep asking for that, it's not sustainable. And so the stress level, that chronic stress would be too difficult. And, mm -hmm. and we, we, the trouble is we fail to see it from somebody else's perspective. And right. so, again, I'll, I'll often use stories because they're um, memorable. They touch the heart and hopefully the head, and maybe they're not so uh, sermon-like. Um, <laughs> we love stories. I think about, and I never have tried this with my um, young grandkids because I don't want them to fail. But if you <laughs> take a child who's about three and put a child at a table and put toys on the table and then take a picture of the table from its four sides, but you also have a teddy bear across the table from that child sitting in a chair. Okay, so there are four pictures of the table, 
one from this angle, this angle, this angle, and this angle, and ask the child, will you point to the picture that shows the way you're looking at the toys? The three-year-old can do it. <laughs> ask that three-year-old, will you point to the picture that shows the way the teddy bear is looking at the toys? They point to the same picture. Wow. They do not realize it looks different from Teddy's chair. So I have to remind myself, how is Teddy seeing it? Now other people say, you know, <laughs> what's it like from their boots or their moccasins or their shoes? And our, our own view is so obvious to us. It's so built in. It is so cemented that it's so difficult for many of us at least at certain moments, especially when we're scared to see it from Teddy's side of the table. Hmm. So, so how much of that, Andrea, what you just described, that's fascinating to me and not surprising, not at all surprising. It, how much of that would be that similar to or the same as the idea of unconscious bias? Same. 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 Part of and it. At, at what point does that change, if ever? <laughs> We have to go from unconscious to conscious. Yes, but is I mean, there is there a, like a standard time frame within people's lives that they oh, make I wish. that shift? Or if do I, some people if, just if never I shift? Had, if I had that magic bullet, this would have sold a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> Your book, that's right. <laughs> it, we are so conditioned. It's so unconscious. Um, I'll give you one more story. I got to be careful. I've only so many good stories. Um, <laughs> but I, um, in 1974, I was on a train in Europe with a backpack. Other people did the backpack in college trip. I couldn't afford it. This was, I remember I had to eat and, and that was amazing. <laughs> so I, I have the backpack and this is, these are graduate school days. And the first time I got on a train and was asked for my ticket on that train, the person in the uniform was speaking in a German accent. And I got scared. Mm. And I spoke French back. My French isn't good enough. It was my fear response to automatically going. <gasps> I had watched too many war movies as a kid. Uh, wow. A German dialect with a uniform was frightening to me. And I never knew wow. it. Trigger. Until I was on that train. So we don't plan to get angry with everybody. We don't plan to get, in fact, by definition, we don't plan to get defensive. It pops out of us. So it is noticing that and then deciding, uh-oh, okay, that's the old part, the reptilian part of my right. brain. Now I've got to get my thinking part of the brain activated. Um, because the unconscious, the conditioned response, just like Pavlov and his dogs, that's built in. Um, I had somebody responding to my book from across the world. Um, it's an international bestseller, but that just means there aren't as many people reading books, uh, maybe across the world, I don't know. Um, and the, the photo of the person was in garb that is Mideastern. And I had immediate response to it. And then I said, Shame on you. You have no idea if this person agrees with you, differs with you, whatever. It was an automatic, it was just like me being on that train in 1974 as a punk graduate student responding to a German sound. 
So we get conditioned, and that's what the, some of this racism is. It's mm-hmm. we don't plan it. It's um, a pairing of an emotion with something, and we may be totally unaware of our reaction. We need to bring it into consciousness. Oh, that's so so good. Um, I think many times we just kind of let things happen, and then there's fallout. Rather than examining our lives, examining how we interact with other people, and I've been in the midst of this. It's been interesting. I mean, Jeff can attest as as we've gone through the Impact Leadership podcast. I've been exposed to a lot of new thinking and so forth, and I, I apply that back to you know my relationships with my wife or my sons and other people. And I notice that in certain situations, I'll, I'll have a reaction, and then I have to back up and say, "Wow, I'm sorry. Let me you know." And then the next day or so, I'm thinking through why did I react that way. Um, people have asked my husband, what's it like to live with a shrink? (laughs) And he said, you can guess. But he said, but uh, he has said, and I have too, thank goodness for my training because um, I can avoid some problems, some conflicts, notice them faster, get out of them faster. Um, And so that's, that's just training. It's just practice. It's just yes. saying, oh, oh and, and going from unconscious to conscious. And you don't have to have a PhD to do it. So for oh, our really? listener, this Everybody is, this is, is a psychologist. I just happen to have a license to, to, to be one. We've all been right. trying to understand other people's behavior since we came out of the womb. You know, yep. I just spent more time in school studying it. <laughs> and it requires just some, some desire to actually be open to that, that kind of change. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the notion of being self-conscious, I I respect that so much because many of us have stopped doing that. We have not been introspective about, "Uh uh-oh, what did I do? How much of it was me? Um, How much of it was them? What could I do differently? And what am I going to learn so I don't do the same thing next time? Now, I think it's interesting that you use that word. And sorry, Jeff, uh, they use the word self-conscious. When I think of self-conscious, I think of a very negative term of, you know, we're, we're looking at ourselves and we're so absorbed in ourselves that, you know, we, we think that the world is looking at us in a, in a strange way versus being conscious about ourself. Well, self-aware. I should self-aware, have said yeah. self-aware. Thank you. Thank you. That's a much better phrase to, to encapsulate what I'm trying to say. Self-aware. Okay. Yeah, that's good. You were trying to break in, Jeff? Well, I I wanted to ask you this question, Andrea. One of my belief systems that helps me in this, and it's it's still imperfect, and then I check in, why am I not showing up the way I want, is I have a deep-seated belief that everything that everybody does is fully rational, even (laughs) though it doesn't appear so to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Which which allows me. I'm sorry you think that. Um, well, actually, I know it's true, though. I would argue it's absolutely true. But it's based upon their experience of something. So, for example, really a typical example um, um, from women. Uh, we know that historically, women who are in abusive situations tend to go into another abusive relationship, mm-hmm. even though they swear they'll never do it again. And they stay, and we say that makes no sense. But somewhere in their psyche, it makes sense. And it's based upon, I mean, frankly, a lot of times it's based upon wounds and hit all sorts of issues going on. Right. I don't know what's rational to them, 
that belief allows me to listen to people and say, okay, somewhere in there, whatever they're believing is rational to them. So that allows me to stay open. And I, I think what, what I'm struggling with today in these times is, <laughs> and this is one of my biggest challenges, um, when people say, I can't fathom some version of that, how someone thinks that. When I'll say, well, here's three reasons they might think that. <laughs> and, and, and it's not, I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong, but there might, you know, it's not like you don't see anything. Yeah, it sounds lazy. So much, yeah, I see so much lack of seeing, <laughs> which is creating um, these conflicts. I think it might be our use of language, just like my use of self-conscious versus self-aware. But the notion that everything somebody does is rational, um, from a psychological perspective, I'll disagree with you. Um, because ration, rational for me means logical, thought through. and. Um, Emotion isn't. Um, it, is a, it is a reaction, and there may be many reasons for it, but it is not, um, it is not reasonable. Does that make sense? Oh, I, I agree with you completely on that. I, I'm talking about from an unconscious perspective, the unconscious drivers. I mean, I know things I do every day that don't make sense, and then I realize, <laughs> but wait a minute, from this place, and the more I can bring it into my conscious awareness, I can minimize it. But it's absolutely not consciously logical. No, not at all. This is, I'm talking about from an unconscious perspective. Mm -hmm. And in that's why our, need, our needs are being met in some way by, by the actions yeah. we take. Yeah, we're getting, I get something out of that. Even if I say it's totally unhealthy, I get something out of that. And the more I can understand why that's happening. Uh, so that, I share that because that helps me to be more empathetic and open. And to your point about language, and I'm wondering if this is something you talk about in your book, I will tell you some of my biggest triggers, and I don't have a lot, but the ones I have, I have. And they're about language. And there's certain words. So for example, always and never. I tell yeah. people, those are not words you want to use around me. <laughs> right, yeah. you are. Because I, will, skills. I, it's hard, I'll say it is really hard for me to keep listening because I know that neither of those are ever true. Right. So you're now engaging in a conversation with me, asking me to be open. <laughs> and, as I did, and it's anything, you know, and I read stuff on social media, I have the same reaction. Everybody agrees this. I go, no, nobody, no, nobody agrees to anything. <laughs> so I struggle with reading that to say, you just told me something that you know is not true. You've just destroyed your credibility. Yeah, you how am I supposed right. to, what openness do you want me to have now? Yeah. Yeah. Versus, you know, so to me, those are language triggers for me. Yeah. So how much of your work in, in around helping people find common ground is about language? I don't know percentage, um, but it's certainly there. It's certainly there. And um, I have a, a story to give you to illustrate that, I guess. Um, in my era, when women were fighting very hard for credibility, the word girl was a very negative word to those of us who were over a certain age and female. 
Mm-hmm. And my mentor, who fought many harder battles than I and was female, <laughs> was really, really touchy. Um, you know, we, we got on a, a um, boat together and the 17-year-old approximately male who took our tickets said, thank you, girls. And she whipped around and she said to him, you're welcome, boy. And trying to show that language has an impact. Well, uh, the man in my life in those years, this is way, way long, long time ago, knew that the word girl for me was touchy. It was a trigger. And um, he was telling a story once and he said, and this five-year-old woman did such and such and had no, we started laughing. He had no idea he'd said it. He had trained himself so much around Andrew, you do not say girl. And so even a five-year-old female was referred to as a woman. <laughs> Words do that. Words yeah. have an impact. Um, well, I think it's important for us to know what, what triggers other people. I mean, you know, I've been married for, what, 32 years? And I, I know there are certain things that if I say things in a certain tone or if I use certain words or I talk about a certain topic, I know that I'm going to get a reaction. You know, if I choose to push those buttons, I'm asking for it, <laughs> right? But and so many people, people choose to push the buttons. Yeah, these days people are choosing to push the buttons. And one of the people have asked me, why do they do that? You're a shrink. Why do they do that? Um, when we are angry, we look for somebody to blame. And we look, sometimes we know we can't have the real fight, so we pick a fight with somebody else we can't control something so in that frustration we then act in in not very healthful or helpful ways Hmm. how much does that come back to the long-term view because it's like early in our marriage like three years in we had a conflict about something and julie said well do you want a divorce i said well (laughs) <laughs> no, not only do I not want a divorce, we will never use the D word. And so that was, that was kind of like this off limits. We had, we had rules for fighting, you know, that we learned as we went through marriage training. And, you know, we don't call each other names and we don't intentionally harm the other person. You know, those kind of basic things that we would want to have for any relationship we have, right? And so um, it's starting with that notion, the relationship is important. Yeah. The relationship is important. And, and so today people said, ah, I don't know. I don't think I can forgive people. Um, they say in the of course you can. I don't think I can forgive that boss. And people say, I don't forget, think I can forgive them for voting for that particular person. Um, wow. And that's problematic. Yeah. Um, it sounds shallow. It's remembering. Well, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that, Craig, because I could throw that back at you and you would totally agree with the other side. Okay. But because there are certain things you would not stand for. And that doesn't make you shallow to stand for that. For example, if you had a close friend, I'm going to just give you an example, a very close friend, pick one in your mind that you found out that they regularly use the N word all the time because that's what they believe. You may forgive them, but my guess is you're not going to spend time with them and never allow that. So that to me is the difference between. Uh, unconditional love and unconditional relationship. Because for me, I, I do come from a place of forgiveness. I can forgive a lot, and but I yeah. don't. That doesn't mean I overlook it. Right, right. And I'm not sure. And I will. I'll be very honest. 
relationships are important to me, but my values matter more than my relationships. And I will be very selective in what relationship people have with me. Um, and there may, there, I haven't yet, but there are people, if certain things happen, I would cut, not hesitate to cut them out of my life with forgiveness and say, yeah. and if that's shallow, I don't think that's shallow at all. I think that's values based. Okay. I, I think it was more of, I, I don't believe that I can forgive somebody. That's, that's essentially going to the plate, and, and maybe you're right. It, it, maybe shallow is not the word there. Um, just getting <laughs> that. See how words can trigger. Yes, words can absolutely trigger. Words shallow, um, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I, I just think that it's always possible to forgive. Now, I do too. Maybe, maybe I forgive easily because I've been forgiven. Um, and I've had unconditional love, and I understand what that feels like. And I know that not everybody has. So, you know, maybe I'm projecting a bit. Well, I absolutely believe that everything's forgivable. You know, that's part of what I do in my, in my coaching work. One of the, wherever people are in their faith journey, um, one of the things, a phrase I use a lot with them is mercy. Mm. Um, and to think about mercy, and that starts with themselves. Yes. And mercy for the people around them that may look like forgiveness to them. Uh, so I think, I mean, I, we, we, we went into a different topic, but I think it's an important topic because these are the kind, as you said, Andrea, these are the conversations people are having yeah. and, and saying, I can't have, forgive that person. We even have them at work. How can I repair this relationship? And, um, yeah. I value making a difference in this organization enough that I will put up with certain things. Um, and I will forgive uh, certain behaviors. Um, hmm. Sometimes if I get down to understanding intention, um, people's behavior is usually not as good as their intention. Um, but, there some, <laughs> but there are some people with lousy intentions too, but, but yes. usually, usually intentions are better than behavior. And so if wow. I start thinking about that, I can go, oh, okay, their intention is, to preserve this, that they may or may not see the impact it's having on others at that moment, or care, and I may have a higher priority for something else. So, I'm sorry, Andrew, I'm going to make sure we ask this question of you. I feel like we've talked about a lot of things and a lot of the challenges. You've offered some ideas, but I want to make sure, are, are there some tools that you regularly use in these challenging areas that we haven't talked about, because I oh, want to make tons. sure people are leaving with some tools, right? Yeah. Not just the identifying the issues, but what are some tools? There Open that are, toolbox. This is the toolbox. You're right. Thank <laughs> you. This is the toolbox. Um, and there are magic words as well as trigger words. And a magic word, for instance, is because um, people are much more likely to comply, forgive, go along if they yep. can understand why. Um, even though I don't think we're always as rational as we uh, maybe could or should be. So using the word because can be a powerful tool. And then we've got research data that, that shows it. So I, I really recommend the word because. Let me give you another tool. Of course, can, you um, give an example? can you give an example of that, Andrea? I um, think I'm following you. But okay. What do you mean? Because I respect you and, and, and our friendship is important to me or this job is important to me, 
I'd really like to understand your position better. We usually agree. Because we're not agreeing here, I'd really like to understand what's, what, where that rub is. Hmm. Ah, so, okay, I'm glad I asked for the example, because I was thinking that more of the, this is what I, I believe this because. Oh, that too. Talk, Works okay. there too. Okay, but you're, that's, um, that's an additional way I hadn't thought about. Okay. Because I'm much more likely to comply if I know why. I mean, if somebody tells me to do something, especially if I'm in an ornery mood, but if you tell me, I'd like you to do this because it will have this impact, I'll go, okay. Yeah. I didn't been, like being ordered, but I, 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 I care about the impact. There's been tons of studies and, you know, even waiting in a, a line for something, you say, I'm sorry, can I, can I go ahead of you because, and. You know that Xerox study. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and the question was, uh, um, you know, I want to go, I want to jump in line because I want to make some copies. Yeah, this right. is all of us were standing in <laughs> line for the copier. Uh, but just because you use the word because, they say, Okay. <laughs> Powerful word. So yes, um, that's a tool. Um, you want another one besides yeah. how to disagree without being disagreeable and how to overcome <laughs> resistance? I mean, they're in the book too. How am I doing for the plug? Um, but even that phrase, how am I doing? Um, is really asking somebody's permission to try to influence them. How am I doing? And uh, admitting that you're trying to influence but checking out whether or not you've gone too far. Because it's like the, somebody told me recently, it's like the, and this isn't my story, I like it though, I'm going to steal it. Um, you're putting your foot on the gas and there's also a foot on the pedal. And I have to walk that fine line. And what works today with the same person, even on the same issue, won't, won't work tomorrow. Because if I'm touchy today and tomorrow I'm calm, um, it'll have a different impact. So those are a couple ideas. Third one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And a lot of people don't want to say I'm sorry because it means vulnerability. I goofed. But it doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it means I'm sorry that happened. I'm, I, I may not have been the culprit. I may not have been the cause but I can still be sorry about the effect it had. Um, and people are, unfortunately, I think, too often afraid to say I'm sorry. So Andrew, I'm curious about that. Um, I've actually, <laughs> I've written a good bit and talked about that. And I've taken, I guess, a position. I think I'm sorry is important. I do. There is a but. And I think that people want, what people want more than I'm sorry is to see some real change. Absolutely. The, the I'm sorry doesn't work very long. I mean, your example earlier of, you know, uh, in the workplace with women and men using, referring to women as girl, when someone says, don't call me that, and they say, oh, I'm sorry, and then they do it again every day, it's, to me, that's ultimately pretty hollow. It's just, it's to me, and I'm, I'm, yeah, to me in that moment, the I'm sorry is very self-focused. I'm going to say I'm sorry, so this will be okay. And you'll say, yeah, but I'm going to keep doing it. So I, I'd call not, it a sham. I wouldn't even call it self-focused. Right. I'd call it a sham. All right. <laughs> and, and yet part of the problem is I think many of us don't understand that trust is based on predictability. It's based on both predictability and positive intention. In other words, I really trust people 
I predict care about me. But of those two, those are the two ingredients of trust. I like the simplest model that makes sense to me. Of those two ingredients, predictability or positive intention, one of them is more important. I'll give you an example with another story. Um, I worked with a consulting firm, two owners, one of them charming, funny, positive, complimentary, and moody. One moment singing your praises, the next moment slamming the door on you, walking out. Whether or not it was your fault or not. The second person fits my description of a little general. I don't know if generals are like this. He was stiff, brusque, and cold 24-7. Which of the two did I trust the most? The second one. Even though he's never been yep. as nice. Because you, you knew because what to I expect. Yep. I, knew, I knew when I had to get my shield out and my sword um, ready and when I didn't. So predictability, wow. crucial. Very delightful to be unpredictable if you want to manipulate. Okay. And wow. certain people in our culture right now pride themselves in being unpredictable. Is there an edge to my voice? Yes, because it destroys trust. And, without, and relationships are built on trust. And I see bosses do it as well as political folks. Hmm. Yeah, my, my family has called me unpredictable. Um, <laughs> but they know my intention is good. Uh, but unpredictable, not, not in the sense of, you know, big moody and, and things like that. But you know, You're I, spontaneous. You enjoy change. Yes. Uh, for me, the unpredictable is I can't count on it. I can't, okay. I can't rely on it. Um, gotcha. there, is no, there is no truth. Kind of like an inconsistent I, foundation. And that's the, that's the cultural um, drama that we're in right now is that yeah. we can't even agree on reality. And mm. the failure to agree on reality um, <laughs> is, is terribly frightening for um, humans that I know. And it's also feeding into, of course, what um, demagogues and our um, enemies like the Russians or Chinese love. If, if we can't agree with each other on what, what the world is or what truth is, um, there you'll see Andrea going off on her um, soapbox. Sorry. No, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about trust. I don't think that gets talked about enough. I think too often, we view trust as this soft thing. It's a relational thing because I often tell leaders and organizations, I'll say, look, if, in fact, I, I go back to a speech I heard years ago by a guy who's the, I think he was the first iron chef. His name is Michael Simon from yeah. Cleveland, where I was from. And I heard him give a speech and he was bringing, I mean, he, it was, he was given the sermon. And at the end, he, he started talking about being yourself as an entrepreneur. Just be yourself. And he's literally standing there yelling, just be yourself, be yourself, be yourself. And he pauses and then he goes, unless you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but then he, he came back and said, but you know what? If you're an asshole, just be an asshole. <laughs> and I know he didn't plan that because I asked him later, but I thought about that in terms of leadership. And that's where I'll disagree with him. That's Pardon? what I disagree with them. What was that, Andrea? 
that is where I will disagree with him. Well, um, but I, I would say this, but if he shows up that way, he will have people that will trust him. Yes. They may not want to follow him, but they will trust because they know what they're going to get from him. And they will, in some way, they will feel unsafe and safe at the same time because they will go and say, I know how to protect myself against him. Why not just choose not to be an asshole? <laughs> but but we're talking about a different... But I no, agree with no, you no, 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 I'm, no. I'm, I'm with you, Craig. I agree yeah. with you, but I'm going to tell you, here's an example. Let's take it, make it a less extreme. A leader who says, this is what we stand for in our values and doesn't live them. They don't oh, trust that's horrible. Them. Well, but wait a minute, but he doesn't trust them because he has lied to them and says, this is what I believe in. So what if he really believes this? He's better off saying, this is what I believe. I believe this is how that, you know, you have a job and your paycheck is what pays you. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to be that way, but he will have, that engenders, that's more honest than the other. That's predictable. But, but the point, I don't, I don't know, Craig, if you want to go here with me, but my point is um, in the early days of of my uh, career we used to we therapists used to tell people let it all hang out be totally honest i hope some of my early clients are still alive because just being who you are can be harmful and damaging to an organization to a team to a kid to a spouse to a neighbor so that's where I'll disagree. As you'll see me get, get uh, passionate about, I won't give people permission to just be themselves, but to be their better selves, yes. Mm, to call on right. their better angels, as Lincoln would say. To um, be brave enough to confront someone who is being abusive and toxic. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sorry, I, I disagreed. I was brave enough to disagree with you. <laughs> well, you're not disagreeing well, with me. You're not disagreeing with me. Oh, that's right. With, with that person who said, um, be an asshole. Yeah, that's right. I, and I would, I, would, I would say this. I, will, I guess I will disagree with you in this. The world would be a better place if more people were themselves. So once I know, then I can make a decision about that. But when I don't know, because there's yeah. a lot of people who, I mean, let's talk about it. We're talking about narcissists. I'm sure you know this. I'm not going to speak as the expert. A friend of mine who is a therapist told me this a few years ago, Andrea, that there was a move in the last five years to remove narcissism as a diagnosis or something because it was so prevalent. It wasn't even a distinguisher anymore. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, in that kind, when, with that kind of mindset, you know, I think that, well, I believe that we, I, as a human being, am dangerous. It is, I can hurt people badly, and oh, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually, oh, yeah. psychologically, all those things. And I am at my most dangerous when I am in my manipulative role. Yep. Where I'm doing it subtly versus directly, because at least directly someone at least sees it coming. And I'm no, I don't want to be either, but I know the part that I'm most afraid of in myself is the part of me that yeah. can be really sneaky. But because I'm afraid of both, both the abuse and the, and the skillful abuse, and both the manipulation and the um, ability to hide that manipulation, I am very careful not to, not to tolerate either. In other yeah. words, um, 
there are lots of people who said, oh, political correctness. It's what kept us civil. It's what kept, kept our, um, some of the ugly sides of, of the human not, kept it in check. And I think we have to do that. There are moments that we are not behaving as um, I believe we should. And those are moments that I don't say, go ahead and just be the way you feel, Andrea. It's not appropriate. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that I've seen shift in myself just probably within the last year is the issue of political correctness. I used to laugh at it and and think that, you know, wow, you know, we can't say anything anymore. But really it came down to once I realized it was an issue of respect, mm-hmm. then then that shifted for me. And I used to laugh at Hallmark. I used to say, How on earth they're making tons of money selling these sentimental cards. I hope Hallmark makes a fortune. Um, <laughs> I have changed my mind because kindness, some of us aren't very good at it. And if, if just buying a card and handing it to somebody is a way of repairing a relationship, <laughs> whether it's a work relationship or a home relationship, I hope they make a fortune. Yeah. Wow. With their Hallmark cards. So I, I, I'm, I really, I want to go down this road, Andrew, because I think <laughs> this is what makes all of this so challenging in the world. So I, I, what I heard you say is that we need to be thoughtful about what we say, when we say it, how we say it. That's what I heard in you. And what I came up for me is there are times that I have chosen not to be any of that. Well, I've consciously oh, chosen. But that was because- the choice. It was, was a choice. Thoughtful. It was a choice. It was a thoughtful choice because I was not going to stand for what I had just heard. Yeah. And I didn't, yeah. and I didn't say it nicely. I didn't, <laughs> say it, I didn't say it with angry, but I said it with very direct intent to make Good. sure they heard me. Good. And I was not, and politically correct or nice and kind, I don't think I was unkind, but I will tell you I was direct. And usually for me. And I, I'm yeah. direct. Yeah, my uh, phrase is, you know what, I that's not okay with me, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be around it. That's you. Absolutely. What you don't know about me is that I taught assertiveness training for decades, <laughs> and and also what the reason I think that as a female consultant I got respect is that I was seen as direct and a straight talker. But also, hopefully most of the time, not intimidating, even though very direct, tough on the issues. You don't have to be dis- disrespectful to the person. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's what I learned from the Harvard Negotiation Project. That's their, that's their credo is, you know, attack issues, not people. Hmm. I think well, it's really interesting that we, we started this whole thing with, how can we have a conversation in disagreement? And, and we've come back to this point multiple times where I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. And yet we're still talking. Yay. This is a good model. <laughs> wow. Well, it's been so good having you here, Andrea. Thank you for your insights and, and all that you've done there. Um, what, is there any last parting thought that you would like to get out there before we close? Every day, do something to show respect for someone. Mm. And if each of us does that, 
the world will be a better place. It's interesting you say that because our, our earlier guest that we talked to today was somebody who, who deals with state government. He said, usually, you know, when you talk to somebody and you say you're in state government, the conversation doesn't always go that well. He said, it's not like they say, oh, thank you for your service, right? And yet, where would we be without some of the people working in the governments? You know, maybe, maybe that's one yeah. of those things we can just say thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So, piggyback. Okay. Yeah. And so. I had someone once say to me, you know, what do you do? And I told them I was a, a consulting psychologist. And they said, oh, you can't be that. And I said, what happened? <laughs> because... We, we have these reactions, as Jeff would remind us, because there was some reason, there was some connection, yeah. some story that, and the point I made, where it tapped our emotion. Mm. Yeah, so good. Thank you. So, so, Andrea, you've talked about your book a number of times. I'm so glad you have. Thanks how for the people, time. Well, well, how do people get your book, and how do they get in touch with you? Amazon.com, um, and you just have to know the name of the book, which is Emergency Kit for Finding Common Ground, Helping Americans Get Along. Uh, and I think we're in an emergency. We're in a, yeah. a, a health and financial and racial and political crisis. And um, so Emergency Kit. And the, my website is simply my name, andreamolberg.com. And the hard part is spelling it right. Uh, M-O-L, that berg like iceberg. And if it helps, the Norwegian means berg is a mountain <laughs> and mole is earth or dirt. So I'm high ground. How's that? <laughs> well, that makes it a lot easier, and we will make sure that all that stuff is in, all of that information is in the show notes. We always have a closing question, and the question I want to ask you about that I'm really curious about, Andrea, is leadership models. Who is that leadership model for you, and why are they a model for you? My dad. Mm. My dad, because he never forgot his roots. He was a poor kid. and Every person, he, he was the inspiring CEO of a nonprofit. Um, and he really wanted to be a car dealer and make tons of money. But in his family, that was not really the right way to go. You had to be of service. And um, he, he lived service and he was inspiring to the point where everybody from any, any level of the organization um, knew that they were important to him. Mm -hmm. And um, wow, so good. that's my model. <laughs> it's interesting how often people have answered that question with a parent. Mm. I hope my kids do. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's legacy. Well, thank you, Andrea. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for bringing um, challenging conversations even here. I love it. I love it. Yes. It helps me grow. It helps everybody grow. I'm looking forward to sharing this, not only the, the episode, but the book and spreading the word. Thank yep. you. Thank and you for your work. And triggering my thinking. Um, that's, that's fun. It's fun to engage. It is. Thank you. Thank you.
If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep. Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, GenXGrownUp.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, right.